Daniel. And I'm Pat. And this is Y2K Movies. A podcast about the films of the 21st century. <laughs> and this week we are discussing the Shutter Films original, Revealer, released July 23rd, 2022 on Shutter. Revealer tells the story of uh, what happens when tensions rise and when a stripper and religious protester are trapped together in a peep show booth and must come together to survive the apocalypse in 1980s Chicago. So this actually interesting thing about this film, uh, this movie was kind of the impetus of us starting this podcast because you saw this and uh, immediately thought of me. Thank you yeah. very much. Just for, and, just for two things. Chicago <laughs> and heavy metal. And I guess strippers. <laughs> I guess three things. <laughs> and uh, reached out to me and said that I should see it. And I thought, okay, you know, it's, it's good that uh, I should watch more new movies. You know, because we, I think we all spend so much time absorbing ourselves in the classics that we kind of don't pay attention to the stuff that's being made around us present day. So... Uh, for better or worse, this movie is the reason that this podcast exists. And I checked it out, and I gotta say, it uh, doesn't have a lot to do with Chicago. Has next to nothing to do with Chicago. No, not at all. I mean, it's very, it, it's clearly, uh, the setting is, is 1987 Chicago, I believe. And uh, I like the way that it's kind of written on the ground in the opening shot. I thought that was interestingly telegraphed. And the director is from Chicago, so I know that's where Luke Boyce that's where that connection comes in. But there's a lot of 80s talk. There's a lot of 80s references to grind it, to ground it in the um, that period of time. But there are there are next to no Chicago references. They don't talk about beef sandwiches. They don't talk about <laughs> politics or uh, the Bulls or Al Capone or any of the usual shit. Um, yeah, it's a little disappointing there. But uh, what do you think about it? Uh, I... Honestly, like I mean, it was good enough to reference, like to share. <laughs> right. I would say. Uh, to me, this is one of those movies that, in like ten, fifteen, maybe even twenty years, uh, we'll get a pack of like thirty or forty films, and this will be in it, and it'll be called <laughs> a midnight movie. <laughs> you know, sure. like, yeah. So it's gonna be. Uh, it's one of those films that, like, if I owned a movie theater and. Uh, you know, just your own independent movie theater. I'd play it at like the 10, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock slot on like some indie films or something, you know, something that's just like fun. And, and, uh, I don't know, something that you can kind of get new filmmakers also into, or, uh, just people that really enjoy movies. Cause I felt like this movie had, uh, I mean, it only had two, basically it only had two actors right like the whole film so it was a pretty low budget and uh definitely gets the you get the feel that this was a pandemic movie yeah it was definitely a pandemic movie uh just from the lack of people in it and also the space like i felt like there wasn't too much closeness between characters Uh, i did feel like angie and sally the two main characters uh I feel like there was some really good chemistry between them, even though they hated each other at the beginning. And then later, it kind of turned into a buddy movie, uh, which was pretty fun because I feel like usually when you get a buddy movie, it's always dudes. And then the only, and then if you uh, get any like female buddy movies or anything like that, they're always called chick flicks or something, which I didn't mm. feel like this was. But it was pretty cool. And, and both were on, you know, 
different sides of the of the aisle. Like one's a stripper, one's a religious protester. Like I just kind of felt like uh, it it was really cool. Uh, sadly, I will say Ray was. I wish Ray was there more. Uh, he's played by Bishop Stevens, and I don't know that guy. Like he was only in the movie for what, like six, seven minutes, and I felt like I, I just wanted more of him. He seemed like a guy that like I would have more connected with. Uh, reading, he was reading heavy metal, and I don't know if you noticed uh, the heavy metal uh, magazine that he was reading actually had Eve in the Garden of Eden on it. That was the artwork on the front of it, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I saw it was heavy metal, but that right, was, that was... Um, I didn't. I enjoyed it for for the kind of movie that it was, and uh, I will say that I do think that it could have been part of an anthology and i think it'd have been cooler uh if they did like some kind of rapture or like some kind of apocalyptic anthology and this was like one of the stories of it i just think that'd have been really cool or uh shutter has like a lot of shorts that are only like anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour long i actually do think that this movie could have been cut down uh just a little bit not too much it played at an hour and 26 which is not long at all but it was one of those films that i just kind of felt like there's parts that I would have liked to see more, but then there's also parts where it's just kind of uh, a lot of character development. And there I, is, yeah. And which I respect. I love character development. I like that. But I felt like Angie, uh, she played the basic role of single mom stripping, trying to build a life for her uh, son. And I just kind of felt like that. I don't know. I feel like that's so overdone sometimes. Uh, which is, again, though, like, I mean, you know, it wasn't a bad movie by any means. It was just one of those movies that, like, I was like, some of the writing I did kind of feel was lazy in some parts of it. Mm. Uh, again, though, it could be because this was a pandemic movie, you know? Like, I, that's why, like, I think I, I think I kind of, um, I forgive it in a sense. Like, I'm pretty forgiving with the movie. Like, it's like, okay, that happened, uh, you know, we're on to the next scene already. So like it, it kind of gives you enough. Uh, it doesn't give you enough time to ponder on what the fuck's going on. It kind of gets a little bit down to it. I do wish that there was more, in a sense, like monsters and stuff, or zombies or whatever's like roaming. Because it, it, it uh, allegedly, you know, it is the rapture. That's what Sally is saying, mm-hmm. and Angie just kind of takes her word for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I have uh, overall, I like the movie. Um... I thought it was. It ends very strongly. Let me put it like that. Right. I I, I was very. Uh, I was kind of disappointed by it. As it as it progressed, it moves pretty quick. Like you said, it's it's under an hour and a half, and the rapture happens a full fifteen minutes into the movie. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we, we get to the goods pretty quick. Uh, what goods there are. Um, it's it's you hear more than you see, which I understand mm-hmm. is is a byproduct of just production limitations and i think they use that effectively enough um i the problem i had when it gets to when the girls do kind of start to open up to each other i have to say i was very pleasantly surprised with sally's character developments um same she is at first she is the ultra conservative right-wing protester outside the sex shop that uh angie works at 
which is uh, interesting because the owner lets them protest outside because he thinks that it's good for business. <laughs> what, like, if, <laughs> we're already suspending disbelief three minutes into the movie because you're like, excuse me, what? But um, yeah, because that's, you know, abortion clinics love having fucking, Planned Parenthood loves having protesters outside in their parking lot. It's great for business. Get the fuck out of here. Right? It's like the first thing you would do if you owned a sex shop was to get these fuckers off your property because it's right. not good for them. Johns don't want to come in. Um, so I, but her character ends up really having a very good arc and way better than uh, Angie the stripper character does. I, I had issues with Angie the stripper stripper character. She's kind of the tough, talking chick. She's played for comic relief and she never gets naked. Now, I'm not saying that there was anything about this actress that I wanted to see. I didn't need to see this actress's breasts. I don't want to seem like like she failed at this performance because she wasn't nude. But I do feel that, like, look, man, as a filmmaker, it takes a lot of balls to make a movie about a chick stra- trapped in a nudie booth and not show her fucking tits. Like, it, man, I, I mean, I, that's not the decision I would have made, but this wasn't my movie to make. Um they they did that and it's it's it feels a little weird especially because there's that extended um like kind of like i don't know if you call it a dance sequence or whatever but when she's stripping in the booth and right. we're kind of showing a montage of her day at work a montage of the, yeah the day. and we never see the titties and uh that felt weird because you kind of wonder why do these men pay five dollars in, in 1987 money um <laughs> To see this woman not take her clothes off, right? And the the other thing I didn't like about that sequence too is that there's 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 a couple this my problems with this movie are um it it just doesn't feel very well thought out. There's 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 some inherent contradictions to the story that it's trying to tell. The, the montage where the Johns come in and pay their crumpled $5 bills to watch Angie not strip, um, it paints, it shoots the men from the back. It makes them look like these leering warriors that are kind of just creepily watching Angie dance around that little room. And, you know, I understand th- this this idea that we should not demonize sex workers. I, I And I, I subscribe to it wholeheartedly um i I think there's nothing wrong with sex work and there's nothing wrong with women doing this for a living but it's it's contradictory to do that and then in the same breath demonize the men that support them right right and it, it kind of did that where it was like you know she's performing for these leering creeps and weirdos and it's like okay so she gets a free pass because she's being self assertive and she's in charge of her body and her sexuality that's fine but the guys that pay her they're the fucking assholes like how does that work like aren't we supporting her i don't know why i include myself in that group when I say <laughs> but i'm just saying like it, it's, it's something that and this is movies is the only one guilty of it but it's kind of a narrative that it is a little like not well thought out like you can't celebrate the sex worker but condemn the fucking john right you know? And uh, it's something, but the movie kind of makes that same mistake with the way that it treats Christianity. It's shown Sally as being this hypocritical character and, uh, 
you know, that these protesters and these, these, you know, right-wing Christians are kind of like the antagonists at first, right? They're, they're the hypocrites. They're the, they're, they're the bad guys, right? And it's because they follow this religion that uh, is deemed as being misunderstood or hypocritical or false by, in some way. Yet, the movie would have you believe that uh, the Bible is actually 100% correct <laughs> because the revelation happens exactly as described. Uh, hell comes to earth uh, as, as promised by our Lord. It's by, well, I, the apostle John wrote the book of revelation, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. God's pretty much 10 for 10 with this one, man. He's, he delivers on all his promises. And so all this time that we spend sneering like at Christianity saying like, you guys got it wrong. You don't understand. You're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, <laughs> at the same time you're doing that, but then you're basing this movie around it being 100% correct. Right. Which is kind of, um, I mean, it, it, it's not like confusing or anything, but it's, it's one of those takes out of the movie a little bit. Like, well, what are we doing here? Is this all bullshit or is this all true? What, what right. kind of mess? What what message are you trying to tell your audience? Um, and the the third thing I want to bring up, and then I'll pass the mic back to you, is uh, the idea of Angie as a single mother, which is not exactly the mother. She's the cool aunt, remember? Because the mom was a right. drug addict or something. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, she, she was the guardian. However. And I thought about this, and I actually hit. I, I did a time check for when it gets brought up. That kid, it's a the kid is alluded to in the opening scene, right when she's on the phone in yep. the phone booth before she goes into work, but is not mentioned again for another forty five minutes. Right. If you, you're a parent, I'm a parent. You're caught <laughs> in a post apocalyptic scenario. How long does it take you to think? Holy shit. I need to get back to my kids. Right. It's the first fucking thing on your mind. Right. I know that when tw- when December 21st, 2012 hit, I made sure I was with my son. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and I, I just I just made sure I was. And I had joint custody at the time, too. But I, I made sure. Sh- I didn't know what the fuck was going to happen on that day. But I wasn't about to be three hours away when it happened. Right. I, w- I wanted to know that if, if the poles shift and fucking the ground opened up and swallowed everyone alive, that I was at least holding my kid on the way down. You know? Right. No, like there's fucking demons running around and trumpets fucking going off. And it, it's 45 minutes into the movie where she's like, I need to get home to Josh. Like, <laughs> like once again, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that tries to get super critical about movies. But as a parent, it was, you could tell these filmmakers did not have kids. Right. right, because any parent watching that movie would have been like, "What the fuck?" and and people that don't have kids might not have made that, might not have picked up on that or, or right. thought about it like that, you know. Well, do you think that it was just kind of assumed that he's probably dead? <laughs> well, like, and you know, and that, that last scene. So that that was was interesting too. So the last scene. So what happens in the movie basically is uh, Angie comes to work. She goes into the stripper booth, montage of her at work dancing around. <laughs> then Armageddon hits, and there's a big panic outside. We don't see what's happening, but when the owner goes out to investigate, he's killed, and uh, the protester chick um, Sally comes in. So then we have a portion of the movie where. Angie is trapped in the stripper booth and 
Sally is on the other side, and they're separated by that by the uh, plate glass window, right? And uh, they're trying they're talking to each other through the glass, and they're trying to figure out how who's going to come in, or how they're going to get out, or what's going to happen. And that's like the first maybe half hour of the movie. Okay, from there, then they eventually go into the tunnels beneath the porn store, which was an old bootlegging system, bootlegging tunnel system or some shit. And they're wandering around trying to get to the church, or that's when that's when Angie reveals that she's trying to get back home to her, her nephew. Okay. Um, and they wander around for a little bit and they have conversations and they talk and they're kind of being stalked by this demon as model. And, uh, some more horns go off and they talk about biv- biblical prophecy. Uh, there's a climax at the end where they clash. It's revealed that Sally, the, uh, the fundamentalist Christian protester, she's actually a lesbian. And um, she has a crush on Angie, which I got to say, I, you know, I would have been okay if they hooked up or something. And Angie <laughs> was just like a hypersexual, like, I'll fuck anything. You right. Know what I mean, I'm a stripper, I'm bisexual, I'm hypersexual, I'm, you know, it doesn't matter to me. But the fact that I forget what the line she used is, but she's like, oh, no, I'm just all about the dick. And it kind of crushes Sally's spirit a little bit. Like, I yeah, make out with her. Fucking, what do you, you care? You know, it was weird that she was that straight. She was that straight that she wouldn't entertain a, a homosexual relationship. But uh, end, end of the movie is they defeat the demon um, through acceptance and uh, uh, forgiveness, which we'll get to later because I actually thought that was very nicely done. But then they reach what they believe is the end of the tunnel system in the church. And before they open the door to go into what they believe the church is, they have this exchange where it's like, oh, I feel like Danny's on the other side of that door. and Yeah, it just feels like sanctuary in there. And they open the door and they walk inside. There's a pause and then you hear the demon's laughter again. And then it cuts to a slow zoom out, revealing that the earth is covered in some kind of tunnel system where human beings are wandering around, presumably being confronted by their own demons and stuff. And yada, yada, yada. So um, I think that, yeah, it's it's assumed that either the... uh, this, the kid was raptured or died and had made it to heaven. And then the two girls pers- are going to heaven at the end because they were able to relieve themselves of their own guilt. That's kind right. of what I got from it. That's kind of like what I got from it as well. I, I did like the whole labyrinth kind of idea that was on earth. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, having all these like humans just kind of running around being lost. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, the whole forgiveness, forgiving each other forgiving each other and themselves i mean that's kind of like that's the thing you know right that's what we're supposed to do uh is be able to forgive like our enemies and things like that so i feel like that was accomplished pretty well and they they hit that really well uh i do think the the boy was probably i think he got raptured or he died one or the other um however it does kind of seem like I, I don't know if there was just a point in, in the movie where like uh, Angie just kind of felt that or maybe just knew one day she would see him again kind of deal or what. But I, I still feel like there would have been a point where like, I mean, there's a good chance that I'd have been irrational and I would have just fucking walked right through the front door <laughs> to right. try to go get my kid. But then at the same time I tried to think about it, I was like, well, 
you know, what am I like? You got to think, you know, you got to be smarter. So like walking out the front door is probably not the best option, but going through these really cool, weird tunnels <laughs> underneath the city, you know, you just don't know where they were going to go. Uh, I, I kind of took the tunnels as, uh, cause the one time they like split up and I kind of right. took the tunnels as like a metaphor for like their ideology and, uh, I mean who they are, you know, like they're split. They're two different people. And then yet at the end, they still come together as like one. And I think it kind of showed, especially when Sally revealed that she had feelings for her and Angie kind of revealed that she doesn't go that way. I almost kind of felt like there was a swap in their characters. And it kind of showed that like Angie is, is really the one that like, she's not religious, but she doesn't like, she's not all that left either or progressive or uh, she's not open. Like she's, she seems pretty close minded. Well, she's a stripper that keeps her clothes on. I mean, right. she's very chaste for that profession. <laughs> right. So and, and it know. seems to be the one that's kind of like more open minded, but, it, but maybe, uh, I mean, she's confused. I mean, that's her whole character is that she doesn't really know what's going on or she's not knowing what's going on, but she, I don't even think confuse is the right word either. I think she's like, uh, she's trying to figure stuff out. She's trying to admit to who she is. And I think she was hiding herself within that crowd. And yeah, then I, once everything happened, she just was like, I have nothing to lose. I, you know, like I'm here. So well, she's definitely open, open-minded. I mean, she's right. sexual. So it's like, but it's like having your mind forced open and, and then, to the point where it's too much for you to bear. So you retreat into this conservative lifestyle because right. it offers boundaries and walls and limitations that you can trust and, and wrap your head around. It gives you blinders because otherwise it's just too much to process. Right. But what's, what's interesting is that what she, but it's correct. But, but the, but the religion, Christianity, especially like the, the fire and brimstone sect that she prescribed to was correct. That's that's the fate that awaited the world. That's exactly what happened. Which, by the way, setting an apocalyptic movie in 1987, 35 years in the past, is, like, interesting. Right. <laughs> like, we know the world didn't end in 1987. Not that this movie has to be historically accurate. But once again, just an, another interesting choice they made. Let's Let's set the movie in the past and blow up the world. Right. Like, okay. Like I don't know. It was uh, another interesting choice. I think um, they tried to make it to like that a little bit like a cult classic, and I think they wanted. Okay, so like I think them setting it in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, I think is easy for easier for filmmakers because a lot of them they grew up during the eighties. Uh, I also think the vibe of the eighties is a little bit more. You know, it's it's poppy. It's. Uh, there's life kind of everywhere and everything's like a comical relief. Like everything's just like, you know, right before the nineties where it was kind of like the fuck it attitude. Uh, you have the eighties, which was kind of not, I mean, it, it's optim. It was more optimistic than it is now. I feel like, and oh. I, I think if they would have said it today, I don't think maybe there would have been some things that they, they didn't think they could get away with or, uh, it had been a little bit harder of a storyline. Like during the eighties, I think there was a bigger uh, conservative movement 
And oh yeah, because we don't have that problem today. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, you have the whole like like Reagan shit going on, and you had the Bush, and like you had like all these, uh, you know, you had Reagan and Bush, and there was like that that was really big through the eighties. I and I felt I, like today, I feel like that is kind of happening again, where people are like taking their political parties or or whatnot, and they're like that is their personality now, and I think. I don't know if they said it in the 80s because it's also tr- like their setting is kind of the 80s B movie where the set is two things. It's a tunnel and a box. That's that's my point, though, is that there's nothing that for it, it 100 percent did not need to be set in the 80s because the world did not end in 1987. Right. And they don't show enough of the outside world to really add. I mean, there's a couple 80s uh, pop culture references in the script. Right. It was just interesting that the two that they it has a very specific place and time. It's Chicago, nineteen eighty seven. Right. How do we represent Chicago? Not at all. Why do we represent nineteen eighty seven? I don't know because we make a fucking elf joke. Like it's not it, it that was not necessary. It was not necessary by any means. I feel like it was a gimmicky choice they made because doing these throwback movies is like kind it's of big. it's strange now. Yeah, you know, like and, stranger things made that big. Right, and and I'm sorry, being a prod, I was a teenager. I was born in eighty one, so I was alive in the eighties. But I mean, I was a teenager in the nineties. I identify more with that era than anything else. And I'm suck. I'm sorry. I like the fucking decade. Like <laughs> that was it, was it was cool. I can't wait till we see '90s nostalgia shit, and we're way overdue for it. I can't wait till we see people being nostalgic about when punk broke and the grunge movement and all that stuff because I think it was way cooler and it's it has more to do with where we're at today than whatever weird mall shit was going on in the '80s. Right? And, you know, they, these characters do kind of look like they're dressed to go to an '80s party. Like, I guess the costuming is, is represented. But like you said, when you spend half the movie in a dirty fucking tunnel anyway, what what does it matter what year it is? Right. It, it, it could have been set in any year. You know? Right. No, I could see that. I think I think it being set in the 80s, though, I think they were trying to pay tribute maybe to some, like, films in the 80s. as it, Like, uh, for some, like, horror movies in the 80s, a lot of them are known to be, like, uh, drug out. <laughs> And for the, even though this is an hour and 26 minutes, I still do feel like hey, it could have been another short, you know, from Shudder. But I do think that it was trying, I, maybe it wasn't trying to pay homage and this is just the way they did. And maybe I'm just trying to defend it. I don't know. But like, maybe it was supposed to kind of like uh, a parody of an 80s horror film. And it's, it, it almost takes it where it's supposed to be like it. I feel like there are some parts in the movie that's supposed to be funny. And then they're also being taken serious at the same time. And I'm just like, it's one of those parts of the film where you're just kind of like, like when they're in the tunnel, it kind of like when Sally came out to Angie, it was almost like a fucking slap in the face. Like there was no, it like went to a, like a, a fucking one liner about her. Nope. Just give me all the dicks and I'm good. Like, like I kind of felt like there was no like, emotion to it it was just like boom and then that was it and then there was no more emotion even though you kind of saw it resonate still with sally like she's like oh i'm not accepted by you either like i just don't fit in and i kind of feel like they may have missed the mark on that yeah i it was 
you're right about them kind of flipping the characters where then suddenly Angie becomes the more conservative one and Sally is the exposed. Uh, that was interesting. All that you, you got to understand like that last, that last 20 minutes with that, I thought the, the movie really had built up a good head of steam and it got to a good place. And I would have rather seen them spend more time wandering those tunnels, talking about the guilt she had her, her, her like self, her, the guilt she has as a as a homosexual, and I would have rather seen more about that and less of like them trying to figure out how to break down the wall. And then right. you know what I mean? Like I feel like like philosophically, you're getting somewhere really interesting. You know, you're getting to the point that like yes, you know, like guilt. We're we're all our own worst judges. Okay? Right. Where guilt is a wasted emotion. It'll eat you up inside. It's self induced. Right. We need to learn to forgive ourselves. We need to learn to accept ourselves and move on and just try to be good people and not worry so much about um, not worry so much about what society says. It's funny. At one point, she's like uh, she she gives this speech and uh, Angie's like yelling at the demon and she's like, so what if she's a lesbian? It's 1987. Who gives a shit? Which is very like point on it's good in concept right right and then you know she's like what is this based on the bible like there's some book from like you know centuries ago that could use a second draft like you know like okay yeah but so does this script you know it's, sometimes <laughs> we don't do that you know there people are pressed for deadlines i i honestly think the 80s thing was that that to me read like a producer's note like the, like they had written the script for this and they had handed it to somebody that was going to give them $50,000 or whatever to make it. And the producer was like, you know what's really hot now? Movies set in the 80s. I'll tell you what. Let's make this, but let's set it in the 80s. And gave it back to them. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and they, so they threw in three lines of dialogue about the 80s. Right. And no, then that, just... was, that was it. Like, I, I don't know if they were like trying to pay homage or, or i don't know it was a parody i think it was uh i it might have just been something as simple as that but that's my own uh, two cents i don't fucking know it, it, you could be absolutely right but just the way it was kind of shoehorned in there and then the director's like well i'm from chicago so fuck it we're setting it in chicago right um, but yeah i think i think conceptually the way that they despite them using crowbars to defeat the demon which is just kind of like whatever um the idea of letting go of guilt, letting go of irrational hatred, let it go of judgment on other people, um, all that stuff I thought is good. Using it in the context of an apocalypse movie was interesting. That stuff was all was all kind of good. Um, and I think for that reason alone, maybe where it gets, uh, philosophically where it gets to at the end, it's probably worth checking out. Definitely don't watch it for the creature design. Definitely don't watch it for the there's no tits. Don't watch it for the nudity. It's, it's not. It's not a sexual. It's not. It's not as sexual of a movie as it would like you to believe it is. Uh, nor is it gory. I mean, the women are like dirty for most of it, but it's not like really blood or anything. Um, really, just as a coming out story, I think it's, it's probably the most effective thing that it does. Is, yeah, is is a character study of a woman trying to wrestle with her own sexuality, and right. which is an interesting thing to take away from this movie. <laughs> right, I, I definitely feel that way, especially from like like they're both the like you know they share the the spotlight in this movie, but you do kind of feel like Angie is supposed to be the uh, the main character, and Sally is kind of like her supporting actress, 
And it almost feels like it should have maybe halfway through the movie kind of flipped and they should have maybe focused on Sally a little bit more, which would have been cool because I do know some movies uh, recently kind of have been doing that or they've been killing off who you think the main character is. And then next thing you know, it's like, oh, this person's the kind of like the main character. But uh, yeah, I kind of think that I, I, I think that it was building up to have a really good climax. And then the end of the movie just kind of flatlined for me. But I would still like for me, like I would still say, yeah, go watch it. Like, again, this is going to be one of those movies that you can pick off the shelf and it's like there's like 50 other movies with it. <laughs> it comes in, like you said, it comes in a, four, comes in yeah. a pack at Walmart. Right. You know? and, and, but it's going to be one of those movies. And I, I, dude, I have like three of those sets. And they're like midnight classics. One's like nothing but horror films. And you know what? They got some good horror movies in it, like A Haunted House uh, right. on, or House on Haunted Hill or whatever it is. Uh, but like they have like tons of good movies in it. They have, uh, they even have some old thriller films in it that like, uh, Oh fuck! Can't remember the director's name. Either way, he's a, he's a fucking famous. It's like uh, Francis Palma? Ford De Palma, What's... possibly Brian De Palma. Oh like, yeah, they have yeah, like Blowout or whatever, and yeah, uh... that. And they also have a uh, Francis Ford Capella movie. It was like his first movie. Uh, anyways, they have like that kind of stuff, and I just think that's really cool because like a lot of people don't look at it that way, and people see them now as like those midnight movies. You know, it's like oh, it's a good late night. Uh, horror film it's not scary it's it's not well i guess it can be creepy to some people but like it's it's one of those things that's more of a it's an easy watching movie that still provides an entertainment level for you to stay with the movie and finish it or it's a movie that you put on at the end of the night and you fall asleep to it but you're not disappointed that you fall asleep to it but you also when you wake up or the next night you might uh kind of rewind a little bit and watch from what you can remember I don't think it's a movie that I would... I definitely wanted to figure out the ending. Like, I, I, I would say that I wanted... I was on for the ride. And I wasn't getting off. Uh, but overall, out of out of the last couple uh, episodes, I would probably say that this is probably my least favorite that we've done. However it's still one of those ones that I would be like, Hey, you should, you should go check it out. Cause this is, if, if you ever have shutter, shutter has a lot of good original stuff, but there's also these kind of original stuff that you want to be shown because again, these are like people that like they're indie filmmakers. Like you should like, honestly, like I felt like certain camera angles, uh, the costume design. And again, the two sets that he had to work with. Yeah. He did pretty good with it. Like, the dialogue may not have been the best. Uh, I think it was trying to be too cheesy and too one-liner-y. Too much, uh, try, to, try to be like Ash from The Evil Dead. Or it, just anybody with one-liners. I think they were trying to hop on top of that, but I, I don't think they delivered well on it. But it does, I think the set, the set towards the second act, I think it was building a lot of steam. And then they kind of went against the demon. And I think that just blew it out. And that was it. Yeah, I uh, I think that, um, and this is just once again me putting on my filmmaker hat. Like when I said the whole '80s thing feels like a producer's note. Right. I feel like when they were writing the screenplay, they realized that you know they got that Sally was the better character, 
And instead of like starting with a page one rewrite to tell the story from her point of view, they decided to still make it about Angie, but then just make Sally the interesting one at the end. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that was just a byproduct of them writing without, and then maybe either they got inspired halfway through or they just started seeing more opportunities with Sally or they started writing, not knowing how they were going to end. And they ended it with Sally having the big character arc and the big development. And at that point they were like, well, <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> Write this thing over again? Or are we just going right. to sell it like this? And as long as we set it in the eighties, they'll give us money for it. Probably. Um, I mean, they definitely got money from shutter for it. So yeah, which uh, I haven't seen all the shutter originals, but when I told my buddy that we were doing this movie, he's like, Oh, isn't that a shitter original? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know for my first shutter original. I got to say, like, uh, I thought this was good. And you know, it's just kind of like, stepping outside of the conversation just about this film something i think we should do with this podcast is let's not review a movie if we don't like it like i think the whole the whole idea of this should be that like we're recommending these movies to people and sometimes with caveats and sometimes with some criticism but at the end of the day why are we going to spend 45 minutes talking about a movie that we both hate what just to shit on it like right. that, that's that's a waste of everybody's time and then right. the, the listeners are going to do what listen for 45 minutes and then realize they don't want to watch a movie that they could have just watched themselves for twice that time like <laughs> right yeah i mean like like if we're talking about it we're recommending it on some level and i do recommend this movie on some level i think that it's worth it's worth the night it's worth the 86 minute runtime I'll, right I'll, I'll definitely say that it doesn't exactly give you what you think it's going to it doesn't deliver on all the promises that it makes but I think it ends in a pretty good spot. Some of the Book of Revelation stuff is uh, is interesting. It's interesting how they handle it. They don't show they 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 talk more than they show. Okay, fine, um, but it still manages to be a little suspenseful and a little creepy. And uh, you know, 1980s Chicago. It's always has never been captured so beautifully <laughs> on film. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I think I'm on board with that. It's a, uh, it's a movie that you know. I mean, I suggested it to you, so it, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't Thank like you a, for that. Yeah, it wasn't like a, uh, like if somebody asked me, like a friend asked me, "Hey, have you seen this movie?" And I'd be like, "Yeah," like I would definitely be like, "Yeah, you should watch it," because you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, people really dig apocalyptic movies, and it does have. I I felt like both lead actresses did really well with the acting and uh especially sally her character i mean that character was i felt like was definitely the highlight uh i i still do wish that there was more of ray (laughs) but uh angie was really good i just think that they got the characters a little mixed up where they should have sally should have been the main and angie should have been the the support but that's okay too Angie, I I would have loved to see Angie Topless. I was disappointed that I did not get to see Angie's breasts. I thought that would have been a, a great, that would have been icing on the cake. When if she wanted an extra couple hundred bucks to do that, I think they should have given it to her. I think they should have had a car wash or something to raise the funds, uh, or whatever, whatever. They, instead of buying that like vintage heavy metal on eBay, that right. vintage issue of heavy heavy metal they had, they should have they should have just like. Giving her the fifteen hundred bucks to take her boobs out. You know? I one hundred percent thought that was going to happen, uh, and I actually started this movie while I was like, 
out work. I was like closing, it, you know, it, I work at a restaurant, so we were closing and I was just like kind of watching it, just closing up. And then I was like, oh shit, this might get kind of bad. So like, I just looked around. I was like, okay, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's over here. And I just kept watching. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, that wasn't bad. I was like, but I, I was kind of surprised. I was like, isn't, isn't she supposed to be like taking it off? They but again, do. like I don't mind. I didn't mind that they didn't. I kind of, in a sense, like, I don't know that whole scene. Like I kind of wish that it didn't happen and they cut that out. And her, before her first customer, I wish all the like the rapture and everything happened. Yeah, I um, I think that they drew more attention to the fact that there's no nudity by doing that montage without nudity when they just should not have done that montage, whatever. But I will say this, that chick had fucking some mad gymnastic skills, like for keeping her clothes on the whole time. She was doing the like, like behind, like, like flipping over leg spread shit. Like good for her. She, right. uh, she was very fuck and almost that I'm like, wait a minute. Is she like a stripper in real life? Well, then why isn't she taking her boobs out? Like, it was very... <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't think that we shouldn't be talking about this that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, sh- it shouldn't be that big of a part of the conversation about the film, and yet it is. Which means it's like... I don't know. It's like distracting or something. Whatever. It's it, For, for, for does having... It, does it make us the bad guys? <laughs> no. I, I think nudity in horror movies is a lost art form anyway. It's not the way... It, it's not the way... I, now, granted... Thanks to this podcast, I'm going to be watching a more a lot a lot more current horror movies. But I just feel from what I am familiar with with the horror movie genre nowadays, there doesn't seem to be as much nudity as I remember there being in the 80s and 90s. Um, I feel like we're moving away from that. We're finding it unnecessary, right? To uh, to in- include the tit shots, you know, which maybe eh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. To each their own, you know. I, I'm, you know, I, when it comes to horror, I, I like to think of when, when you make a good horror film or like in the genre of horror, even like in thriller, like I, I want it to break walls. I want it to be on the edge of what we like of taboo and stuff like that. So even like when it comes to nudity, I really not saying that films need it, but usually like, I feel like when a film has kind of like, have you ever seen the movie mother? Oh yeah. With, um, okay. Wait, wait, when, wait, with Jennifer Lawrence. Yes, I love that movie. Oh my so it's, god, it's a great movie. Okay, so yeah. for me, I did not expect her, and it was a terrible scene that it happened at. But she showed her breast, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And that was the first time on screen that she did it. And to me, that movie—I mean, that movie was awesome. That is a fucking fantastic movie. Yeah. But like, it was one of those. It was one of those scenes where, like, I was like. I, the whole movie made me like I did, I had no words at the end. That's how it, like I mean it left me speechless with how beautiful the movie was, the acting in it, everything that fucking happened in it. Like it was crazy, uh, but it was one of those films that's just like I'm like I understand like it almost like the fact that it did happen and that you did see that it made her so much more vulnerable. It, it, I don't know it, it had an extra connection, but I also feel that way with male nudity. Like, if you watch a horror movie with male nudity, or uh, honestly, almost any movie with male nudity, it always, like, to me, it's always just like, uh, ah, she saw my penis kind of moment. Like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't know. Like, it's almost like a, uh, I don't know if you ever watched, like, Anger Management. 
some Adam Sandler film, but like there's a point where he gets like his pants pulled down and he like covers his like dick and he's like running away. And like, it's just an embarrassing thing. For some reason, we, we consider that embarrassing, which me and I had uh, some health stuff. I, I feel like every nurse and doctor at uh, the hospital that I go to has probably seen my wang. So I just don't, it, it's a very humbling experience when that is exposed. But I feel like the, uh, I don't know, like n- male nudity and female nudity in movies, I feel like are on that line of taboo. And I feel like we're starting to see more male nudity. Uh, I know in the movie X, you kind of see it. And I don't know, it, it's just, it's coming up a little bit more. And I, I feel like, like, I'm okay with it. I don't care. It doesn't do, it doesn't affect me. Like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I, like, I see a dick every day. Like, I don't care. But it is one of those things where, like, sometimes it can add a little bit more emotion to that film. It can add, like, it, it can add different things. So, like, if it's a sex scene and it's, it's a steamy one, like, say, like, the Titanic or some bullshit like that, like, you end up, uh, you might feel a little bit more connected uh, to the point where it's like, okay, they really are uh, emotional about each other or, you know, really physically attracted to each other. Or if it's like mother, like, holy shit, like she's in a, she's, I mean, it is a fucking super vulnerable moment. And she basically got wrecked. And they're like, that's, I mean, it made you, kind of, it made me speechless. Or if you watch, uh, if you watch, I spit on your grave, that's a fucking one that will like make you, uncomfortable like it, i don't know it kind of helps set the mood sometimes in film and again it's not just female nudity it's also male nudity or either any of them it doesn't matter like i do think that sometimes helps set the tone in films oh yeah i mean look at ned Beatty and deliverance oh <laughs> shit yeah doll's god yeah fat white ass fucking crawling around in the woods yeah <laughs> i uh i agree with you mother i we should do an episode on mother because i was uh i saw that in the theater and i figured out what was happening um, I mean, I forget at what point, but I, I remember being so proud of myself. Like, is this what the, is this what they're doing? Are they doing yeah. what I think they're doing? Oh my yeah. God, they're doing it. Oh my God. I'm right. I'm so smart. I figured it out. Like, I found it that was, out when the sons came in. Yes. Yes. Cause it was, it was Cain and Abel. Yeah. Um, I fucking love that movie. I love Darren Onofsky. I, he's got a new one coming out. I forget what it's about, but, uh, man, I absolutely, he is one of my, my favorite fucking filmmakers of like the modern era um all his stuff his noah movie isn't bad either i would love to do that sometime um he's a he's a great great filmmaker um but i i I completely agree with you as far as the the vulnerability that's inherent to being naked on screen but then i think of like nightmare on elm street 3 when the nurse takes out her tits and like in front of the deaf boy the boy that can't talk you know what i mean oh, right. and, and then like uses her tongue to like it's just i don't know i think it's like yeah. a very it could be a bro moment too like dudes just react to boobs like yeah you know and yeah um, you're right it, sometimes it could be used atmospherically and, and you know what maybe when we think about this movie when we think about revealer it was neither one of those things Right. It, was, it wasn't a bro fest that's going to celebrate boobs on screen because, yeah, boobs. And <laughs> there was no reason for Angie. I mean, it would have made her character vulnerable, but, um, you know, I don't know. I guess it... Uh, it feels like it was, it was a part of the job, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Almost. I don't know how to say it, but... It, it, I, it doesn't hurt the movie. Let me put it like that. My criticism of the movie go far beyond the fact that I didn't get to see a couple B-cups, whatever I'll live, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like I said, it, it, it goes, for me, it's all the way around. It's just not one. I need, I, I prefer, I like movies and books and stuff that break that wall oh. and aren't scared to be like, here's a fucking dick or here's, you know, boobs or vagina, whatever. Like, I, I don't care about that shit. Like, I, I, I kind of, like, that's taboo. Like, I mean, that's almost how it is. I think it's the uh, point of being, like, free speech in a way, like movies. I like it when they fucking do that shit. Like, it's exciting because it's like, holy shit, like, this hasn't been done before. Or if it is done before, then it's one of those things that's like, wow, like, it's it might make you uncomfortable seeing it if it's not like that. Like, I have a friend that, like, any time it shows male nudity, he, like, fucking freaks out. And I'm just like, you know... I'm just yeah. like, dude, come on. So I don't I don't want to liken that to one of the characters in this movie, but uh whatever. <laughs> you guys right. can make your own connections there. <laughs> uh, all right, anything else you want to talk about? Nah man, that's it. All right, we'll see you guys next time.